So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Antoinette Weatherly. I have attended Victory Life for the past 17 years. I was raised here, y'all. This is my family. These are my people. This is where I come from. <laughs> I, um, I went to youth here. Pastor Jacob was my youth pastor growing up for over a decade. I met my husband here. We're raising our two daughters here. Our family attends here. And it is a high privilege for me. It's, it's so dear to my heart that I get to belong to this house, that I get to belong to the brothers and sisters in Christ that I have in this house. It's a high privilege. I've been to places where they don't have what we have. This right here is a miracle. It's a miracle that we get to assemble together, that we get to hear the word of God spoken. It's a sweet privilege. And I'm very thankful for it. And getting to dig into the word is one of my, it's one of my joys. I love to dig into the word. I love to, it's like a treasure hunt, to dig into God's word, to see what he's speaking and to have the opportunity to share it is a pure joy. And I know that's something that each one of us is called into as believers. We are a a kingdom of priests. We are carriers of the presence of God and we are communicators of the heart of God. Every one of us is called called to minister the word of God in some capacity. So I'm very thankful for the opportunity to get to do this. Um, my husband, my sweet man, is not here this morning. He's taking care of our babies. Um, just to give you a little more insight, we are in the season of no sleep. We don't sleep at all. We have a seven-month-old and we have a four-year-old, and they're both in this cranky emotional stage. And someone told me this morning that that will last for 30 years. And so... <laughs> I'm like, well, darn, I just exited that stage of my life. So now I get to enjoy it in my daughters. It's wonderful. Um, so that's, that's a little bit about us. Now, I want us to move into this word. The word I have for us today is strategy. We're going to be talking about kingdom strategy. And we're going to begin to give shape to this word, definition to the word strategy. And then we're going to move into two strategies that I believe the Lord is speaking to his church, to our house for this season. So as I open up and and giving some definition to the word strategy, I'm going to go over several different scriptures. I don't want you to feel like you have to turn to all of them. They are going to be on the screen. And by the end of this message, we will have landed in the book of Acts. That's where we'll spend most of our time today. So are you all ready? I'm nerding out because this is like what I live for. It's so much fun. So thank y'all for bearing with me. I know that nobody came to hear me this morning, but I think we are in good company because I didn't come to hear me this morning either. I came to hear a word from the Holy Spirit. So I believe he's going to speak to us. Amen. Amen. So strategy. Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Everybody say Wonderful. Wonderful. Counselor. Say Counselor. He will be also called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want us to lean into that name, Wonderful Counselor. In Hebrew, the word Wonderful is Pele. It means Wonderful, but it also means Miraculous Intercession. The Hebrew word for counselor is yeats, and it means to advise, to consult, to give counsel or strategy to. Isaiah 9.6 in the New English translation is extraordinary strategist. 
Jesus is an extraordinary strategist. And so when we see the union between this word, peleyats, it's saying that Jesus is a miraculous intercessor and strategist. So what does that mean? The word of God, the logos written word of God and the rhema spoken word of God that we receive on a regular basis when we sit before the Lord, when we receive of teaching in this way, when we listen to messages in the car on the way to work, when we receive the word of God, we are receiving strategy for life, kingdom strategy for living a supernatural life. I don't know if you know this, but the Christian life is a supernatural life. It's not a life you can live in and of your own strength. You can't behave your way into living the Christian life. You can't willpower your way into living the Christian life to the extent that we are called to live it. We need empowerment from the word of God and the spirit of God. We need divine impartation of strategy, and we need the spirit of the Lord stirred up on the inside of us, like Pastor Terry spoke this morning the power of God alive on the inside of us. So when we receive strategy from the Lord, that strategy from the Lord, from his word, has been soaked in intercession. It's not flippant direction that he gives us. He didn't just pull it out of his hat and say, Here, here's something, go chew on that. No, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. It says that in Hebrews 7.25, that Jesus ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. What does that mean? He is prayerfully considering every aspect of your life and praying over it to give you strategy that is birthed from a place of him praying on your behalf. He is praying on our behalf right now. I know this to be true because Hebrews says it, that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Think about that. Our king and high priest is interceding for us right now. That means everything you walked in here with today was already on his heart before you came into the room. Every distraction you had during worship, the grocery list, how I'm going to pay that bill, my aunt's sick, my kid's sick, how are we going to get them through college, all of those concerns He's already very aware of, intimately connected to, and he is praying in intercession over so that he can now give you strategy for walking that thing out. Amen. We have a king, we have a high priest who loves us intimately and is intimately acquainted with every detail of our life. There is nothing about your life that he is not considered and that he is not prayerfully turning over in his heart right now to give strategy. He's not giving you flippant direction ever. He wants to give you something that is the upspring of his heart. That's the kind of king we have, y'all. That's who Jesus is. Oh, he's a good, sweet priest. He is never distant from you. He's never separated from what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what's going on in your life, and he has answers. And I believe that we are going to be a people that hear his answers because his sheep hear his voice, and another they will not follow. Pastor Austin said that today. Let's move into Proverbs 1.5. Proverbs 1.5, it says, A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain, say attain, wise counsel. I love this word, a man of understanding will attain wise counsel or strategy. 
The word attain evokes this idea that I'm going to go after this. I'm, there's some effort involved on my part. I can't just lay down on the word and hope that this gets into here. I wish it worked that way. Wouldn't that be awesome? That whole multitasking thing. I could just tape this to my head and get all my mother stuff done. That'd be awesome. But it doesn't work that way. I have to be willing to dig and go after this like an excavator, like a treasure hunter, seeking the word of God, opening the word of God and digging out his strategy for my life. There's an activeness to this thing. You know, oh man, I'm grateful. I'm so, so grateful. So grateful that we have Pastor Dwayne and Austin and Dr. Terry and Pastor Stan to stand up here every week. It is such a high privilege. There's people in the world that do not have what we have access to. But this alone is not enough for a transformed life. I have to be responsible to put this word in my heart daily. And you know, when I wake up out of bed, it's like, I have to start all over, (laughs) y'all. It's like, oh, another day and another child and another conversation with my beloved husband. And I need this word afresh. I need it all over. So I'm willing to pay whatever cost to get this word in my heart. If it means I have to wake up two hours early, I may not get there every day, but that is my fight every day, y'all. I'm waking up And there's no condemnation if you have a different time. But my personal fight is I've got to wake up at 4.30. If I want to spend time in the Word, I've got to beat the kids. They wake up early. And I want to spend some time. I want to linger. I want to take my time with the Father. I'm not in a hurry. This is a date. It's a date when I show up in front of the Word. I'm not kind of trying to rush through it. I'm trying to enjoy His company. And so I have to fight to get into His presence, and I have to fight to get this Word into my heart. But that's a cost I'm willing to pay. If it means paying convenience or comfort or two hours of sleep, that's okay, because that's how desperate I am for His strategy for my life. Amen? Are we a people willing to pay a cost? To be treasure seekers. Do I have any treasure seekers in the house? People who want to dig, who are hungry for the word of God, hungry to receive the rhema, life-breathed word of God every day for themselves. Because what you work for, what you dig out yourself, will be more valuable to you than what you receive from me or from any other pastor on this stage. You value what you work for. You value those things that cost you something. Amen? Isaiah, no, no, Psalm 119.24. Let's go there first. Psalm 119.24 says, Your testimonies also are my delight, and they are my counselors. Y'all know, for years, I was like, I got to find, I need a, I'm a, I need a mentor. God, if I'm going to ever grow, I got to find a mentor. I need a life coach, or I need a mentor or something. And I learned that this word can mentor me. In fact, has anybody read The Divine Mentor by Wayne Cadero? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> I don't know how to say it. It's Italian or something. It's beautiful, but I don't know how to say it. Wayne wrote this book called The Divine Mentor, and the whole premise of this book is that the Word of God will mentor you. You can sit down with Moses, and you can get mentored in how to delegate authority. You can sit down with Esther, and she will mentor you in how to stand up against accusation and how to stand in the face of the enemy. You can get mentored by Deborah, and she'll teach you how to be a strong person of God in the face of an army. You can be mentored by King David. 
And he will teach you repentance. He'll teach you what it looks like to sit and to bow your life before the Lord. He'll teach you what it is to dance before the Lord and to say, yes, Lord, more undignified than this. A person who just, at all costs, I'm going to worship. We can be mentored by the Apostle Peter through the word. And what it is to live a bold life. We can be mentored by Jesus in the word. Read his actual spoken words here. His testimonies are my counselors. Anybody ever wanted a mentor? I know growing up, I just, if I could just get in contact with somebody who's, who is where I want to go, then that's all I will need. But I've found now that that is available to me at all times. These individuals are within arm's reach at all times, and aren't we thankful that that is the case? I pray that our children inherit this. The same access that we have to the word of God, I want my daughter to be able to read the word whenever she wants to, to open it up in public. And I want my children's children to be able to do that as well. We are highly favored, highly gifted. I've been in places where they fight over Bibles. It's like a bloodbath trying to, who's going to get the next copy of the Bible? It's not very Christian, but you know, you do what you got to (laughs) do. Isaiah 25, 1. It says, Your counsels of old are faithful and true. They're faithfulness and truth. Your counsels of old. We have tried and true strategy. Again, these things aren't flippant. These are tried and true strategy for life, directives for how we live our life. And everything that the Lord directs us in is faithfulness and true. Has anybody in this room ever obeyed a directive from the Lord? Anybody ever obeyed God in any capacity? All of you have obeyed the word to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So we've all, we're all there. We're on even playing field. We've all obeyed the Lord in some aspect. We have assembled ourselves together. That word, check it off. So we have been obedient. When we are obedient to a directive from the Lord, we experience the fruit of that. We will taste and see that the Lord is good. When we apply the word of God, to our lives, and we receive it with faith, and we walk in obedience to that word, we see the fruit of it. It is a guarantee. His word is faithfulness and truth, and it doesn't just work some of the time, and it doesn't just work for some special people who know how to talk well and pray elegantly and and have degrees and who have ministered in other countries. It works for everybody. It works for everybody. And thank you, Jesus, because I'm not a superstar Christian every day of the week. I need it to work for me. Like, if it don't work for me, it don't work for nobody because I'm a mess. I need the word of God to work on my behalf. And that's what's been made available to us through his counsel. That's what's been made available, the strategy of the Lord that is faithful and it's true. The word counsel and words like it, counsel, counselor, counseled, are in the uh, Testament, the Old and New Testament, so many times, I was trying to count in the Strong's Concordance, and I was like, I forget this. I tried to do a Google search, and I couldn't figure it out, but the words listed hundreds of times this word is referred to because it is a common theme in Scripture that it is so important that we receive wise counsel. 
And in the Old Testament especially, we see so many examples of individuals who received wicked counsel and it led to their demise. This is a constant theme. You know there's so much history about kings, the kings of Israel, and it always refers to their counselors. And sometimes they had wise counselors and sometimes they had not so wise counselors. The Lord is saying, I've made available to you at all times wise counsel for your life. We can come and sit down with our cup of coffee and our open word and a journal and a pen, and we can go to town. We can go to work, working out strategy for your daily life, strategy for your finances, for your marriage, for your ministry, for how to reach that kid that's a prodigal and they just don't want anything to do with anything that you've got. He gives us strategy for how to love our spouse as well. Lord, <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13.1 is my go-to strategies. Love is patient. Love is kind. Honestly, I joke because my husband's not here right now. He's at home taking care of our kids, but he is the one that has to love me through a lot of stuff. He's much kinder and sweeter than I am. But 1 Corinthians 13.1 is my go-to in a strategy for my marriage. And the word is full of them. Full, that's all this is. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and correction. Anybody need some correction? It's okay. (laughs) You're in good company. For instruction in righteousness. Instruction, this is strategy. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped For every good work, we are called to get some things done in our lifetimes, y'all, and we cannot do it apart from the strategy of God and the spirit of God that quickens this word on the inside of us. I'm faithful to put the word in me, but it's the spirit of God that causes it to come alive and causes transformation in my life. So now we have laid this foundation of what strategy is, where we see it active in scripture. It's the counsel of the Lord. He is the miraculous intercessor and strategist. So now I want to lean into a directive that he gives to his disciples before he leaves, before he ascends into heaven. So, you know, Jesus, after he dies and is resurrected, he spends time on the earth for several days. What is it, Pastor Terry? Is like 40 days? And um, so he's having encounters with people. He's talking with people. He's still teaching. And he gives a directive right before he ascends. And there's a few occasions in Scripture where he gives different directives to his disciples of what to do next. And he tells them, I believe it is in Luke 24, 49. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father. Notice that the promise of my father is capitalized because that is not a thing that he's sending. It's a person. He's sending the person of the Holy Spirit. Behold, I send the Holy Spirit upon you. But tarry. Everybody say tarry. Tarry means to wait. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power. Everybody say endued with power. From on high. In this instance, the Lord gives a directive to his disciples to go and to wait in what we know as the upper room from Acts 2. They go and they wait in this upper room, and they don't know exactly what they're waiting for, but he said that they're going to be endued with power. So they're waiting to be endued with power, whatever that looks like. I want to propose to you today that this is still a strategy for us right now 
in our day and time that this tarrying and waiting upon the Lord in the act of worship is how we are endued with power to live the supernatural life that we have been called to, especially in this hour. Pastor Duane is teaching a series right now about standing. We cannot stand. I know that I don't have backbone enough to stand against some of the things that are being presented by our culture. I feel like I fold every time when faced with our culture and some of the things and the arguments that they present for why they believe the things that they believe. I, in and of my own strength, I don't have the backbone for that. But the Spirit of God in a Christian, in a believer, the Spirit of God, the infilling and the supernatural power that has been made available to us through Jesus Christ, that is more than enough to walk in the power of the Lord and to be ministers of God in this earth. And we can go toe to toe with any person in the world with the love and the power of the Lord that is alive on the inside of us. His Spirit is more than enough. His word says it's not by my might, it's not by my power, but it's by his spirit, says the Lord. And so they tarry and they wait and they receive the Holy Spirit. That 30 minutes that we take at the beginning of every service, that is not for our entertainment. It's not for our musical preference. When we engage in worship at the beginning of every service, we engage in what we were created for. We are priests and carriers of the presence of God. And our call is to tend to the presence of God in adoration and worship, to magnify him because he is good, because he is worthy, because his blood has covered a multitude of sins and it is ever flowing from the mercy seat and he has redeemed me from the curse. We worship him because he's worthy and he's done all of this for us more than I think we even grasp most days. That is why we worship him. But in the act of worshiping him, in the act of yielding to him in the act of corporate worship, there is a divine exchange that takes place where he empowers us in the act of worship. He empowers us by stirring the spirit of God within us. He empowers us to live this life that we are called to live. It's not a one-sided connection that we have with the Father where we just give him praise and nothing happens, where we just praise him and adore him and nothing happens. No, that's why we have to fight to enter into that place where we can focus in worship. Because I don't know about you, but in the mornings, I've got my to-do list going. I grocery shop on Sundays. I'm like thinking, what are we going to eat for dinner? I hope Tucker cooks it. Please don't make me watch that football game. Lord Jesus, I don't want to watch the football game. I've got these things going on in my mind, and I have to push those down because I'm not going to miss an opportunity to engage with the Spirit of God in corporate worship because I know it's too valuable. It's too valuable what takes place when we come together in agreement. When they were in the upper room, it says that they were in one accord. They weren't in one accord about their politics. They weren't in one accord about their opinions of what you should wear, of how you should talk. Uh, I'm sure they didn't all have even the same dialects. They were in one accord over that they were going to be obedient to the voice of the Lord and they were going to tarry and wait upon the spirit of the Lord until they be endued with power. When we come together in corporate worship, that is what unifies us, our hunger to obey the voice of our King and the unity of the spirit in worship. And it's in that act that the Lord 
works this transformation on the inside of us where he fills us, he endues us with power. We see this. Let's go ahead and move to Acts 4.13. Acts 4.13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, so they've all been filled. The church, the first church has been birthed in the upper room. They wait upon the Lord and the spirit of God is poured out on them as a result of prophecy in the Old Testament that says the spirit of God is going to be poured out on all flesh. So this has occurred in the upper room. And so now they're emboldened by the Holy Spirit and these guys take off and start preaching before they were hiding. They were afraid of persecution. Like, I don't know Jesus. I've never been with him. I don't know who he is. They're hiding, but they're, they're waiting. They've got sects that are hiding, and then you've got others who are waiting to be endued with power because Jesus knows what it's going to take for them to walk in their season. It's going to take something supernatural. So now they've received this supernatural power of Jesus, the Spirit of God on the inside of them, and it says in Acts 4.13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated untrained men like what who do you think y'all are y'all don't have a degree in theology you don't have a mega church and you ain't written no book like what are you doing up here they marveled they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus I want that to be said of my life I want it to be obvious that I have been with Jesus I don't want it to be because of anything else other than that I have been in the presence of Jesus. And that is something available to each one of us. The world is looking to marvel at a people who have been with Jesus. And um, let's see, in 2006, I was 15 years old and I was worshiping in my bedroom and I had a vision. I have to tell you this part of the story to be able to tell you the rest. So 15 years old, I have this vision. The Lord unrolls this map, and it has the continent of Africa on it. And I'm looking at this map, and I'm, I just start weeping. I'm like, where well, are we going there next week? Like, am I going to live there? What's going to happen? Um, is it just, like, temporary? I have all these questions racing through my mind, but the only thing that came out of my mouth was yes. I'm in love with you. If you're going to Africa, looks like we're going to Africa Thank you, Jesus. And I remember weeping that day and just saying yes to that, to that invitation. Um, fast forward to 2018. I'm sitting in my second year at Karis Bible College in Sherman. Anybody a Karis student in here? Any Karis students? Woo, yes. Karis is where it's at, y'all. Y'all got to find out. Find out about Karis. <laughs> I'm sitting in my second year And we have this visitor from Uganda. He is a pastor doctor, and he's sharing his ministry in Uganda. And as I'm listening to him, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, that vision comes back. I hadn't thought about that vision in, like, a decade. (laughs) And it comes back to my heart, like, oh, yeah, Africa. And I think, this is it. This is a part of that. And so I immediately changed my status from a part-time student to a full-time student so that I would be scheduled to go on this trip. And I remember running out of the room, this guy from Africa still talking, this wonderful pastor, Pastor Dr. Emma. Um, he's still talking. I run out of the room. I call up my husband. I'm like, honey, when I was 15, I had a vision. I was supposed to go to Africa. And there's a man from Africa. And I'm talking to him about all this stuff. And um, we were just like, yes, okay, we're doing this. We didn't know how we were going to pay for me being a full-time student. We didn't know how we were going to pay for me going to Uganda. But we're doing this in faith. 
And as we are preparing, um, the class is preparing for this trip to Uganda, I get a call from our director, Pastor, uh, Mary Shane, the director of Karis Bible College. She uh, informs me that we are going into a place to minister at a pastor's conference of 400 people, of 400 pastors, their wives, and their children. And they will allow one woman to speak for a few minutes. And I believe you're supposed to be that woman. And I'm like, oh, okay. And of course, you know, just yes, just comes out of your mouth. And, and then later, like, can I take that back? I think somebody else can do it. But I knew, I knew in my heart, this is part of that vision I had at 15 years old. And so on this trip, we're doing all kinds of ministry. We're baptizing youth in the river. We're doing clinical ministry. We're putting on services. We're doing door-to-door ministry. We're going into the cities and talking to people on the streets. We're doing all kinds of ministry. But do you know what's on my mind this whole trip? Is what am I going to say to 400 pastors and their wives and children? Like, (laughs) what in the world? So I'm constantly writing messages and erasing, rewriting messages like, oh, what do we got? And the time arrives for us. We arrive to this rural area. We're going to be ministering to pastors from a rural area. And we minister door to door and out in the country. And what I noticed um, during this time of ministry is every time within these homes, um, a man would enter the room. The Ugandan women, the women in this particular region, they, their knees hit the floor. They bowed every time a man would enter the room, and they stayed on the floor until the man would leave or stop talking. And I kept noticing these things that were different about the interactions between men and women, and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, um, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, <laughs> this is, and like, I'm, I'm naturally, I like to honor people. I want to do things their way. If it doesn't go against the grain of what I know to be true, I will honor people. I'll give a little bit. And so I'm thinking, they are not going to look kindly on this little 28-year-old girl coming up there trying to tell these pastors anything. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I still don't know what I'm going to preach. And I'm sitting on the bus, it's the day of the conference, and I'm with the other speakers and one of our guides, he is a pastor and the director of the school that we're there in partnership with, his name is Pastor Yassin, and he is super funny, he is real grouchy, and I love him because he he tells you like it is, so I really enjoy conversating with him, So because I want to know what it is before I'm going to get into it. So I'm like, so Pastor Yassin, why do these women bow to the men when they come in the room? Like, are they afraid of them? And I'm asking him all these questions to kind of understand their culture and where they're coming from. And I finally get to the real question that is burning in my heart, and that is, Pastor Yassin, how are these men going to receive from a woman? And he said to me something that took me by the guts. I will never forget this. It has become a theme of my life. He said, these men will receive from a woman who demonstrates the power of God. You see, the church, the world, is looking for a bride that demonstrates the power of God. If we're not walking in the power of God, then we are no different than anybody else on the earth. We have been equipped with the spirit of the living God. We've been breathed upon the uh, spirit of power. And the miraculous signs and wonders have been placed on the inside of us as we walk in partnership with Holy Spirit. And the church, the world is hungry, hungry to see that. 
And I decided a long time ago that I'm just not satisfied with anything less than that. Amen? I want to see that. I want people to look on my life and say, who is this uneducated, untrained little girl moving in the power of the Holy Spirit? It's obvious that she's been with Jesus. Anybody want that said of them? Amen. Amen. I want to tell you one more little story before I move into this last part. I think it was 2017. I was hungry for just transformation, personal revival in my life. I wanted to see signs, wonders, and miracles because we are charged to operate in signs, wonders, and miracles. The word says that that follows the preaching of the gospel. I wanted to see that made manifest in my life. And I wanted a deeper walk with the Lord. I was just hungry for more of him because I know there's always more. I know that conviction in my mind, so I want to experience it in my heart. And so I am, I do what any good little charismatic girl does, and I start collecting everything I can read about revival. I want to know about revival. And I read uh, Andrew Womack and Pastor Duane and listening to them, and I'm, I'm reading uh, Bill Johnson and uh, Catherine Kuhlman history, and I'm reading everything Heidi Baker wrote. Anybody know Heidi Baker? Heidi Baker is a little firecracker. I love that woman. And I read everything she wrote, and this goes on for six months. And one day, I am painting my um, little um, house. My husband's out this particular evening. I think this was before kids. I'm painting our living room, and I'm listening to Heidi Baker. And I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> like, I have gotten so frustrated. Like, Lord God, six months of this, reading about everybody else's miracles, everybody else's personal revival, and I've experienced no transformation for myself. What gives? <laughs> if my best effort is not enough to see transformation, then I've got nothing. I got nothing. I remember climbing down off that ladder with my paintbrush in my hand. I'm sweating. It's not cute. I lay down face first on my laminate floor, just start sobbing. It's funny now when I think about it, but it was sad. It was a pretty sad sight at the time. I'm just sobbing, like, God, I've, I've done everything I know to do, and no breakthrough has come. It was around this season that my sister-in-law, Tate, she goes to our Durant location. She's teaching in South Dallas now, so she's kind of out of pocket. But at the time, she was at our, um, our Durant location leading worship, And her and I love to lead worship together. And so she invited me to lead a worship life group with her. And so we started meeting in the Durant Church, just a random night of the week. And and we were just going to spend a couple of hours just enjoying the presence of the Lord with no agenda. We showed up sometimes we didn't even know what songs we were going to sing. And we would sing spontaneous songs, and we would prophesy the word of God, and we would pray, and we would speak the word, and we would just take our time enjoying the presence of God. And this went on for a few weeks, and nobody came. <laughs> no, a few, maybe two or three people came to this thing, but we were having a good time. And um, then that we were invited to bring that worship into a household. And when we moved into the household, that worship or that night of worship, it, it grew uh, exponentially. And we enjoyed so much this time of just lingering in the presence of God with no agenda. You know, we didn't show up with anything. We didn't need Him to do anything for us. We just wanted to love on Him. And then simultaneously, I decided, well, I'm going to start one of these in Sherman, too. So I started one with Tate. I'm like, Tate, come on, let's do it over here, too. So we start meeting in the back building of the parking lot. And again, just a few people show up to that, but we love it. We, we can feel, I can feel transformation. 
I'm enjoying the presence of the Lord. And again, someone asked, will you move this into our home? So we moved it into our home, into the home, and it grew again. And we did that life group for three years. And I can honestly say to you that I experienced more transformation in those three years than I think I could have in a decade. Just simply sitting at the feet of Jesus and enjoying the presence of the Lord. It changed me from the inside out. And I have this deep conviction in me now that Christ can do in a moment what striving cannot accomplish in a lifetime. If we will sit at the feet, if we will tarry and wait until we be endued with power, it's the power to transform us from the inside out. But we have to be a a people that are willing to wait. This is the strategy of the Lord for this season. It's not... There's a lot of other things we could be doing in reaction to the things that are going on in our world today, but we cannot neglect this one call to sit at the feet of Jesus and to tarry and to wait until we be endued with power. And I want to challenge you that that is what's happening when we gather the first 30 minutes of every service. That is what we are doing. We are waiting on the Lord, ministering to the Father in worship, magnifying him. And in the act of doing so, he is transforming us from the inside out. Amen? Amen. I want to leave us with this last strategy. This strategy comes from Acts 2.42. So this is a response. We're still talking about the early church. This is just after Christ's ascension. They've just been filled with the Holy Spirit. And now they are out preaching the gospel, preaching resurrection life. And we see that when they were obedient to his first directive, more strategy came. See, a lot of times we want more direction, but the Lord's like, well, you didn't do what I already told you to do. If you want more direction, I need you to do what I already told you to do. And so because they were faithful to tarry and to wait upon the Lord to be endued with power, and then they went out preaching the gospel, going into the world, um, speaking um, of salvation and resurrection life. Now they have this new strategy that they have worked within their communities. It's in Acts 2.42. And I believe this is another strategy. This is a second one that I believe the Lord is speaking to us for this season. It says, and they continued steadfastly. Say steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. To continue steadfastly, again, is to pay a cost to realize that this thing is worth it. Whatever I have to do to do these four things, I'm going to do whatever it takes to assemble with the people of God, to commit myself to the apostles' doctrine. That is the gospel of a resurrection life in Christ. And I'm going to break bread with other believers and we're going to commit ourselves to prayer and intercession, whatever it takes, whatever cost, I commit myself to doing these things. And right now, I want to lean into this idea that they, they came together. Other translations say that they met from house to house. You see, this is Life Group Launch Weekend. And we don't do this because it's a cool program. You know, it's, it can be a lot of work. We don't just add, it's not just a cool additive to our Christian life. This is where the church was birthed. The church was birthed in Life Group. That's why we do it. It's a model of the first church. And I can tell y'all, man, if y'all knew me, I'm an introvert, y'all. I'd rather be in a corner somewhere with a book and my journal. And please don't talk to me. (laughs) But this church has changed me. 
I love people now. I love to be in communion with people. I love to hear people's stories. That's one of my favorite things. I want to hear, and I want to hear people's stories. Sit down and tell me your story. Um, That was a transformation that came as a result of being plugged into this church for 17 years. Being a part of the body of Christ did that to me, and it was the result of you know, I, I would go to youth, and I would sit on the front row, and I would listen to Jacob, and then I would run out, like, get me out of here, mama. And I did that over and over for so many years until finally I was like, oh, I'm going to get in a life group, I guess. And, and I started plugging in and connecting with people, and that is what changed my life. I realized that Cynthia had something in her that I needed, and that Pastor Terry has something in him that I need. And that uh, Pastor Chet has something on the inside of him that I need. I realize that I need the connectivity of the church. That me by myself is not the, the perfect vision. It's not the plan of the Lord. That his method, his purpose, his strategy for us was to be into, in community with one another. And that's not so that we can all become clones of one another. No, I want to see the fullness of Christ made manifest in Cindy so that I can enjoy the fullness of Christ made manifest in Cindy. And I want to enjoy the fullness of Christ made manifest in Roxy because that is a gift to me. And I grow because the iron begins to sharpen iron. And that's where transformation takes place. They're sitting at the feet of the Lord and remaining in community with the people of God. We are transformed from the inside out. I want to leave you with this thought. That kingdom strategy is always carried within the womb of community. You cannot take a kingdom strategy and run away and do it by yourself in isolation. I know this to be true, y'all. I've studied the word since I was a little girl, but I experienced years of rebellion. I experienced years of pride, and it was because I was not in community. I had no one to sharpen me. I was reading the word, but there was, there was, this, uh, there was no cross-pollination happening, if you will. I needed other believers to make deposits into me and to train me. And that's why I love the church, and that's why I love small groups. This is not a thing that we do as a program. It is the strategy of the Lord for this season. And so I want to pray over you now before we dismiss. Everybody good? Everybody happy? We got quiet. Amen. (laughs) If you have not um, signed up to be a part of a life group or you're just interested I'm the person you'll end up talking to. So you email me, call me, you talk to me in the foyer, and we can get you connected. I can let you know what's available. And if you want to start one yourself, you can do that also. And all of that will be available in the foyer. So, Father, I thank you so much that we are a powerful church, Lord, that we are a church that live with a loud yes to you, Father. Whatever cost, whatever it looks like, if you're going, God, we are going. I thank you, Lord, for every individual in this room that has laid down their life to open up their homes and to minister and to be ministers of the Lord to this body. We thank you for them, Father, and we speak a blessing over every life group leader that every sacrifice that is made, every dinner plate, every mess they have to clean up afterward, that the Lord sees every sacrifice and that that will be multiplied back to them, a rich hundredfold harvest. And I thank you, Lord, for those who feel afar off, who feel isolated, who don't know how to connect or want to, but can't seem to make connection, Lord. I speak for divine appointments in this house 
and this season, that this is going to be the season where community comes together. It's going to be the season where people come together in love and in faith and we begin to operate from a place of unity because where there is unity, there is a commanded blessing. And Lord, we are a people who tarry at your feet. May we be very good about tending to the presence of God, about stirring ourselves up in love and good works. We thank you for it. We thank you for the spirit alive on the inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.